This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. We are wrapping up a series we began just a few weeks ago called Mindful. I'm so excited about what this is going to look like today. There's so much in this for you. I believe that today that God has a lot of freedom, a lot of joy, and a lot of hope as we dive into this message today. Next summer, or next Sunday, I'm actually doing a special message called Summer Vision Sunday. Uh, summer is a big time of the year. We do a lot of stuff around summer. And when we do that, we, we actually anticipate those months. We have a plan for it. We have a vision. But I don't know if you're like me when I think about the vision that I've had for my, my summer often look like I'm just coming back and looking back over the last few months. And we've spent a lot of money, gone on a lot of trips, done a lot of stuff, but I don't feel like we made any progress. And so I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do summer in a different way next Sunday. I believe that for a lot of people that are here in this room, that your life could be altered if you just have a different vision for your life this summer. A different vision. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about that. I believe it's going to be super helpful. This summer, uh, we are changing the schedule. If you've been here at um, Eastgate, I, I just want you to know that nothing about the schedule changes. Still 9, still 1030. Uh, but we are going to give a rest to those who have been serving at our downtown campus, just move it all into one location throughout the summer months for the next three months at least, and then we'll review it and we'll let you know what the schedule will look like as we go into the fall. I want to get started today in this message by literally just going back and reviewing the scriptures. Over the past four weeks, we've looked at what I've called uh, as breadcrumbs, just these little nuggets that the Apostle Paul left us in his word to instruct us about winning the battle in our minds. There, there's a battle that's going on for your mind, and we, we've, give, we've been given these tools to really engage that battle and to win it, and it's so prevalent throughout the context of Scripture, but we've got to pull them out and understand these these weapons and these principles that we've been given. In the first week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Okay, so let me just stop there and say we do not, as Christ followers, handle conflict the way that this world does. Okay, so if your model for how you're going to deal with something is the way that somebody else did it and it's not informed by the Word of God, you are not handling conflict or your battles in the way that the world, or the, the way that God would have, you're handling it in the pattern of this world. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, 
They have divine power. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in the first week, I said, identify one stronghold. What's the lie that you've believed, a lie that's become really entrenched in your brain, in your psyche, in your perception, in your vision, the way you think about the world? I'm not good enough. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm, I'm always going to struggle in that and in that. I'm, I'm, my relationships are always going to be hard. People, are, they're not honorable. What, what is the, the lie that you believe? What's one stronghold? And then fight back with the truth of God's word. That's what you do. But you got to also be aware of what you consume. You've got to watch what you consume. And so in week two, we talked about Romans chapter 12, verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your life should look different. Your mind, your thoughts, the pattern of your life should look different than the way that the people of this world live. Be transformed from that by the renewing of your mind. Transformation comes from training. It comes from train. I train what I do and I train what I consume. And in the second week of this series, I told you that in training what we consume, we need to learn to fill our minds with the word of God. We, we need to know that, that a lot of times what we're consuming is provoking fear. It's provoking doubt. It's provoking worry. We need to look at what we're consuming because what you get in you is going to come out of you. And then we talked about our filters and our frameworks, how we assess and see the world that we live in. And we looked at Romans 8, 28, which is a filter and a framework. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I told you the hard truth is that this does not apply to every person in the room. God is not, in, in fact, working everything for every person in this room for their good. Because not every person in this room loves God supremely and is living their life to live out his purposes. That is a, a faith framework. It is coming from somebody who has made a decision that I'm going to reject the filter of, of fear and I'm going to live with a filter of faith. I'm going to let this be the, this redefines things. This is a new framework for us. This lets me see the world that we're in in a different way. And I told you in that week that if the filters and the framework changes, everything changes, even if the facts don't change. Even if the facts don't change, if we learn to address our filters and the framework, the, the, the way that we see things, the, the temperament the, that we see things through, and then the framework, how we understand our life, the, the facts of our life don't have to change for a lot to change. And for many of us, the, the biggest movement that needs to happen is moving from a filter of, of fear to a filter of faith. So much of our, our hearts and our lives are wrapped up in fear. If that happens, then this is going to happen. They haven't said all that kind of stuff. We're, we're caught in the lives of fear. And then we looked at the Apostle Paul's advice in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. 
but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's beyond understanding. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And last week I showed you this, that where fear and anxiety are natural, they're natural. Our faith cultivates an irrational, supernatural peace. We need to lean into our faith. We need to trust our faith to redefine the way that we see this world. I told you last night, last week, that if it's big enough to, to worry about it, it's big enough to pray about it. Prayer changes things. It moves the heart of God, and it also changes you. Clinically, uh, we, we know that a, that a brain of somebody who's prayed for, for two weeks for a kind of definitive amount of time, that their, their brain in scans looks different. It's, it's not only changing the world, it's changing you. And today, I, I want to push against what I believe is a common church experience, which would be exacerbated by the last few weeks that we've had together. It's where I show up at church and I hear a message and I, I, in my heart I say yes to God and all of a sudden there was struggle and I start feeling like there's victory. I've, I've been anxious. I don't want to be anxious. I see the way out. I've, I've struggled with worry and doubt and I believe that God has given me victory only to walk out and hit Monday morning and feel like it just all comes rushing back all over again. You get in a place like this. And I just, I want you to know that God wants more than that for you. That, that is so subpar, the kind of life that Jesus purchased for you when he died on the cross. It is not, that's not what God, God doesn't want us to roll in here on a Sunday morning, put on some church clothes and start acting a little different and dance on out of here right back into the same patterns of the way we've lived. I can just go ahead and tell you this. I'm over that, personally speaking. If that's how you want to do this dance, you're at the wrong place. That's not what we're doing. I, I want more than that for you. I don't want you to just come in here and feel better about your life and walk out of here and do whatever you want to do. Because that's not victory. Sorry, riding some kind of emotional wave based on how you feel. I want something more than that for you. A lot of times we'll come in here, what, what was it? I, just, I got a breakthrough. It was this wall and I just broke. And, and, and then we step right back into it. And we need another breakthrough. And then we step right back into it. And I need another. Some of y'all been dealing with the same junk for a decade. And I want you to know that God's got more in his life, in his heart for you, than just a breakthrough. God's got to stay through. You can get to the other side and just stay there. Not walk back into the same old stuff you've always dealt with. You need to hear me today. When I, you can win the war in your mind. There's hope for you. This is why Easter mattered not just on Easter Sunday, but it matters today. 
the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. There is hope. I don't care what you're facing today. You might have a terminal diagnosis. I want you to know that God still reigns supreme over your body. There's hope. You don't always have to go to anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and drama. Your life can be different because Jesus has won the war. Even though we're still living in the battle. He's already won the war. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our victory. He won it. The war is over even though we're still in the middle of the battle. And because of that, through Jesus, you can live from victory, not for victory. And that's subtle, but it changes everything. If I'm living for victory, everything's got to be right. They got to get it right. I got to get it right. If they don't get it right, we're going to lose. If I don't get it right, we're going to lose. But if I'm living from a place of victory where I know I'm not living for it, it's already been determined, then right now I can know that even if I blow it, God's got me. His grace is big enough to cover my mistakes. I don't need everybody to show up and be perfect because it's not about them. The victory was already purchased in Jesus. I'm living from victory. And you need to hear what I'm about to say. Because of that, because it's not on my own merit, you can't win this war on your own. Philippians 4. Simply put, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayers and petitions, make your requests known unto God, and the God of peace will give you peace. That is beyond all understanding in Christ Jesus. And so many of us are living so far below the standard that God has called us to because we're not living in Christ. We're living in mama. I'm living in Oprah. I'm living into my life coach. I'm living into my BFF, that podcast, that blog. I'm not living in Jesus. Let me just make this simple. If somebody's advice contradicts the word of God, they're a liar and don't follow that advice. Okay? Not everybody has your best intention in mind. And not everybody, even if they're giving you bad advice, that doesn't make them forever lost. You realize Jesus turned around and looked at Peter and called him a devil. And later on, Peter would become the the paramount figure in the emerging church, would give his life up for Jesus. I need you to hear, there's a humility in that. If the devil could use Peter, the devil can use me, the devil can use you. We need to be in Christ. And the question when it comes that to, to you, are, are you living out God's express will for your life? Are you running the place? God's already given you the place. So much of your life, God's already, forgive them. Don't become bitter. Don't carry that offense. You know, it's hard to win when you're not running the place that God's already called. 
I used to be a football coach, and we'd study film and talk to coaches and send out scouts, and we'd have a game plan. And that was the broad understanding of how we wanted that game to go. And we'd have to call a play specifically in that moment to make sure that we stayed on the game plan. You ain't ever going to win if you're running the wrong place. Can I just, let's just be simple here. When it comes to your finances, God has already handed you a playbook. He's got a play for you to run. What is it? That we understand that it's not my money. God blessed me with it. He provided the increase. It's remarkable to me that you can get around somebody who struggled to find the job. As a pastor, the first thing that I'll hear is, would you pray for me? I need to find a job. I need... I need to take care of my family. And then two or three months later, the same person that understood, I need to go to God, I need to pray. And, and, and then they're rejoicing, God gave me this job. And then all of a sudden, it's their money. You, you mean to tell me God gave you the job, but now it's your money? It's God's money. And God has a plan. Every time we experience increase, we tithe. What's tithe? It's 10% returned to the kingdom of God invested in the local church, minimum standard. That's where it starts. It was so baseline for Jesus that in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is questioned, hey, should we be tithing? Yeah. And his response to that was, yeah, but don't also neglect other acts of charity and mercy. Like you should be looking and going, there's a single mom who's struggling to pay her rent. I'll pay her rent. There's, a, there's somebody over here who I love them and I see they're, they're struggling to get some groceries. I'm going to go buy them groceries this week. Don't neglect the other. There's a plan and a playbook. And then sometimes we get so arrogant that we'll stand in front of God and go, I'm stressed out about money. God's going, you running the play? No, but I'm stressed. I already gave you the play. It's impossible to win if you're playing the wrong game. And if the game you're playing right now in your life is to make your name great, to build your own legacy, to blow up your ego, you're playing the wrong game. And you're never gonna win that game. That's why I believe next Sunday could be so pivotal for some of us. Because when we walk into summer, we have a vision for it. For many of us, our vision for our summer is no different than the person who's lost and running away from God. And I'm going to talk about that next week. And I believe that there's so much hope when we start to clarify what our vision is. So over the last four weeks, for some of us, there's been so much momentum. I was struggling with anxiety. I've got tools now. I see what's happening. I see the science of what was happening in my brain, that trauma from my childhood, the, the, the kind of, it just, it, it's just sucking me back into that same illogical response. It protected me then, but it's not serving me now. Those of us who are, I just don't know how that got, well, well it got into your head because that's what you're feeding yourself. And so today I want to deal with the question of how do we keep this momentum? How do I not just have a breakthrough, but how do I have a stay through? And I'm going to take you again to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. 
I've taught a whole message series out of this text before, but I want to go back to it because it's got a few things in it that I think are really, really helpful. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to start out. Do you, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, in, in Corinth, they hosted something that was a lot like the Olympics. And, and so in ancient Greece, they would have been familiar with those who trained to run stuff like marathons. But he's actually building a metaphor here of, of life like a race. Has it ever felt like that for you? Like it's just so busy, there's so much work. I just look ahead and the road is so long and there's so much longer to go and I'm already tired. It feels like that So. Sometimes done it just it's it's a rat race that's what we call it. But I noticed something in that verse that it's quite possible to run this race and not get the prize. That you could put all the effort, all the energy, all the time, endure all the sacrifice, go through all the pain, and get to the other side and not have the prize. He continues on. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Is that word? We've talked about that. Transformation leads to training. You train in what you do and you train in what you consume. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. They, they do it. We, we do it. What, what do we do? What, what's he talking about here? What is it that we do? We train. We train. I train to get a crown that will last. You know, there's a difference in mindsets that sometimes exposes for some of us that we do not quite understand what life is. I would call it the tension between what we'll call today a training versus a performance mindset. A, a training mindset looks at every moment, every day, I'm training for the next thing. When I'm dealing with conflict, it's an opportunity to learn and grow for the next time we hit this moment. When I have to make a decision, I might not get it right, but I'm learning and growing for the next time. But a performance mindset is somebody who walks through every single day. And if I get it wrong, I blew it. I'll never have that opportunity again. It's never going to be the same again. It's a performance mindset. We were with my sister yesterday. And my sisters, my kids love these stupid pack, packages of, of dill pickles, okay? Just love them. They think they're the awesomest thing on the planet. And so whenever we hang out, a lot of times we'll have those, if we're, especially if we're going out. So we, had, we were out yesterday, and my sister was hanging out with us, and she, she's lo she loves those too. And she said, you know, Kevin, this is the perfect example of a, of a, a training mindset. She said, the first time I, I bought these for myself, I was eating them in my office. And... Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of just eaten them as a snack, and, and it was so good. And, and I was just kind of leaning back in my chair, and I thought, well, there's one more in the bottom. And so I just turned up the package, not realizing that this thing was filled with pickle juice. Wearing my white shirt, out comes pickle juice all over. And my sister said something right after that that illustrates a training mindset. She said, that's a mistake you only make one time. <laughs> That's a mistake you only make. What does that mean? I learned from it. I learned, I made a mistake 
but I learned from it. That's training. When we have a training mindset, everything is practice. Okay? Everything is practice. That husband that won't put the toilet seat down, ladies, and you're trying to figure out, every time you talk to him, it's practice. Well, that didn't work. I'm going to try something else. That didn't work either. It's practice. Every time you have conflict in your marriage, it's practice. Every time you discipline your kids, it's practice. Every time you do a presentation for work, it's practice. And every time you practice, you have an opportunity to learn and grow. What's he say? We're, We're training for a crown that will last forever. This isn't just something that's about today. If, if I'm in a performance, then the only thing that matters is today. But I'm training. This is for eternity. And then as he wraps this up, look at this in verse 26 and 27. So therefore, I do not run like somebody who's running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I don't run aimlessly. What he's saying is, I ain't gonna be no Forrest Gump. Where are you going? I don't know. Just felt like running. Just felt like running. Where are you going? I don't know. I don't know. And some of your lives, unfortunately, look like that. You got a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of time that's being poured out. And if you take a step back, what am I doing? I don't know. Just running aimlessly. So do you know what he said? And sometimes we read the Bible and in the modern context, we don't really kind of take it seriously. But the apostle Paul says, no, I strike a blow to my body so that I won't be disqualified. You realize that in some historical context that some people have taken that verse literally. Legend has it that Martin Luther, as a young monk, was so overwhelmed with his sin that when he read this verse, he took it literal. He, he just decided that, that I'm, I'm going to beat my body into submission to the Lord. They'd they'd find Luther's body beaten and bloody, laid out in the snow with him passed out after hours of just convicted prayer and beating himself. Which is why when you look at the, the Reformation and Luther stumbles on the words that the just will live by faith and he realizes that I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be perfect enough that I'm, I'm justified not by my own perfection, but by the performance that Jesus has already attained for me. I'm justified by my faith in Jesus. What a revolutionary idea for somebody like that. Paul said, no, I'm I'm not going to get disqualified. I'm going to strike a blow to my body. But if you're honest, that sounds pretty painful, doesn't it? I'm going to strike a blow to to my body. Do you realize something about your brain? Every person in this room, this is not a subsect. This is an every person statement. The brain comes preloaded with an aversion to pain. Every person's brain. 
Everybody born at any point. There's a small subsect of some neurological disorder that won't feel pain. But that's, we feel pain. And that pain creates an avert. Pain is actually a signal that is sent by your brain that's telling your body, that's not good. Don't do it again. Stop it. Don't ever touch that. Don't ever do that again. For example, you watch a kid touch a hot stove. You're across the room. You see it about to happen. You're yelling. They can't really hear you. They and what happened? They feel that pain. They begin to scream and cry. And you run and you scoop them up. And you don't ever do that again. That's what the pain is there for. Our brains are naturally wired to avoid pain and discomfort. And y'all, this is creating what most therapists and researchers call a significant problem in modern culture. Because if you were to reverse field on our lives about 150 to 200 years, we would understand that there are parts of life that are painful. I'm going to have to wake up before I want to. I'm going to have to do some work and some labor. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to be sore. Sore is a part of my life. I, I, I'm, it's a natural part of my life. There are things that are good that are not easy. But in modern culture, that's not exactly true. There are some of us that rarely, if ever, feel pain. Y'all going to go to bed tonight and your 300 count thread sheets arguing about whether the thermostat should be set to 68 or 70. You're going to sleep with the ceiling fan blowing some cool air on you throughout the night. Wake up and have your coffee and your air conditioned home. Put on some comfortable clothes. Walk out your front door. Getting an air-conditioned car. Climate control air-conditioning. No, I want it to be 67 in my car tomorrow morning. Turn on that heated seat. I want it cold with the heat on my back. Some of y'all got massaging seats in your, in your cars. And you drive and you go to your office and you, you work and it's, you know, I've got a nice chair, it's comfortable, I enjoy what I do and you go home and in days, in weeks, in months, you avoid pain and it's creating what therapists call a cognitive pain bias. Where to avoid pain, we downgrade the importance of and disengage with activities that create pain. Or discomfort. What, have that hard conversation with them? That's going to be uncomfortable. No. Mm -mm. What, live with a budget? That sounds painful. Why would I do that? Go, go, to, the, go to the gym? I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm going to go like once and then I'm going to be sore for a whole week. Why would I do that? I have news for you. If you're taking notes, this is a big thing to learn today. Pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. 
Let me give you this, this simple story from people that I know. You decide, you, I'm going to run to be healthy. I won't go to the gym like everybody else. I'm an introvert. I need some time alone. I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to go buy me some running shoes. I need to get healthy. I need to lose a little weight. So they start running and start getting healthier. Start building some muscle mass. Start getting some muscle tone. Start losing some weight. Start eating healthier because I'm putting all that work over there. I don't want to lose that over here. Get healthier. And what happens? Well, keep doing it. Do it for 20, 25 years. And what happens? Your knees give out. Because you're not made to run on pavement. So 25 years later, I'm not running anymore because my knees are shot. But let's go the opposite direction. That's painful. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go to the gym. I got other things to do. I don't have time for that. I don't want to deal with that pain. What happens? You start dealing with the pain of depression because... Now you're not supplying your body with the positive neuro kind of chemicals that come as a result of activity, diminished activity, diminished levels of those neurotransmitters inside your brain. So you deal with that. Higher rates of cardio and or cardiac and, and pulmonary illness. Greater, greater. And you want to know what happens 25, 30 years later? Your knees give out because you've been carrying so much weight. Doesn't matter which direction you go, you're going to deal with pain. Think about it. Financially, am I going to deal with the pain of saying no to things that I could say yes to right now because I'm going to live with a budget, I'm going to sacrifice to give, save, and invest, or am I going to live with the pain of struggling with my overspending habits in my debt? Am I going to have the pain of a hard conversation with somebody that I love when something happened? Or am I going to deal with the pain of living with bitterness and unforgiveness? It's a lie from the straight pits of hell that pain is avoidable. Your enemy is lying to you. And our brain is selling us that lie when it's telling us to avoid pain. You cannot avoid pain. Pain is inevitable. But number two, this is, if y'all remember anything I said today, y'all need to remember this one. You can choose your pain. You can choose your pain. Now, I... I didn't prepare this in the message, but I, I want to say this because you need to hear what I'm about to say. Your relationship to pain is going to be a strong correlating factor to your level of health in areas of your life. And what's tough is that we can be very comfortable with the, for example, the pain of working out and disciplining my body over here in this way, but then also not be very good at the pain of parenting the right way because I'm trying to be somebody's friend. I can be good with the pain of saying no in a budget, but not good at the pain of managing my emotions. Your relationship to pain in every area of your life 
is going to be a key indicator of your potential to be healthy in that area. So much so that I would say if you imagine who you are and who you want to be in life, the distance between where you are and where that person is, the person that you want to be, is the amount of pain you are willing to endure. That's how close you're going to be able to get to that person. Because there's pain. And a lot of times, it might be as simple as the pain of saying no now so that I can say yes to something better later. I've, I've tried to teach my kids this. It's just the simple principle of delayed gratification. And we do this with the best cookie on the planet, some Oreos. How many of y'all love some Oreos? Got some double stuffed at home for you, right? You know you love some Oreo cookies. And so what we'll do is I'll just randomly, no, this, there's, it's not programmed. I'll just walk up to my kids and go, hey, you want some Oreos? And of course, because they're the best cookie on the planet. I want Oreos. All right, you can have one Oreo now, or in 15 minutes, you can have three Oreos. Which one do you want? And <laughs> I love it. Like my son, Clay, is the most, he's, he is all about relationships. He wants to do everything with somebody. It's like, I'm going to bed. Who's going to bed with me? Y'all come? I'm gonna go take a poop, Dad. You wanna come talk to me while I'm pooping? No, I do not. I do not want to do that. The first time I ever did this with Clay, it's hilarious. He goes, you want some Oreos, Clay? Yeah, I love Oreos. All right, you can have one Oreo now, or in 15 minutes, you can have three. And Clay looks at me, I will wait for three. Daddy, will you sit here and wait with me? <laughs> yes, I will. Daddy, how much time do we have? 12 minutes. It's 12 minutes left. <laughs> You can choose your pain. Think about it. Financially, it's the pain of budgeting now so that I can live generous later. That's choosing your pain. Parents, right now, it's choosing the pain of saying no to other things so that you can be present and involved with your kids right now. And later, you get to release them into the kingdom of God to make an eternal difference. Saying no to something now so that we can say yes to something later that we really want to say yes to. It comes down to pain. Will you choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret? Will you choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret? It's important to see discipline as pain. Because so many times we admire people in areas of their, you are so disciplined, you do so, but there is a pain associated with discipline. Now there's a difference between being hurt and pain. Okay, so I'm not talking about traumatic pain. We're, we're talking about the pains of life. And discipline, number three in your notes, is the willingness to choose the right kind of pain. Discipline is what says I don't want to. I know it's not even convenient or comfortable. It's going to be really uncomfortable. But I feel like I'm supposed to do it. And I'm going to do it because I know that this is what God would ask me to do. It's where we, we have that tough conversation 
with somebody that we love. It's where we, we, we sit down and say, I'm going to have a budget and live by it. it it's where we, we say no to other things right now so that we can say yes to things later. Discipline creates the rigor of practice and training. This is how we embrace the pain of the process to stay devoted to the process. Hebrews 12 says something about discipline. Look at this. We'd all agree with this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been what? Trained by it. We've been talking about training. The only way that you ever win a war is by training for it. Training is what leads to transformation. We train in what we do. We train in what we consume. But we see something here about how we are trained. How are we trained? Through pain. Through things that are not pleasant. And I need you to hear this. Your brain when it realizes that something is going to be uncomfortable, something's going to be difficult, something's going to be painful, your brain's going to scream out, no, don't do it. It's going to hurt. Because everybody's brain is hardwired to avoid pain. But your soul needs it. So what do we win? Do you remember Paul? He said this in verse 24. Look at this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Remember, we can get to the end of the race, have run the race, but lose the prize, not even have the prize. But what is it that we're running for? What's the prize? If you back up just a few chapters in the same book, the Apostle Paul explains something that is so important in this conversation. And we're going to get 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14 out of the message paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. And he says this, look at this. The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's Spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. Spirit can only be known by spirit, God's spirit and our spirits in open communication. What's he saying here? Is that the intentional decision to step into the right kind of pain outside of a relationship with God for the rest of the world, they're not going to understand it. Why do you forgive them? Don't you know what they did to you? Yeah, I do know what they did to me. I was there. But if I don't release that, it turns into bitterness, and I don't want that in my heart. And so I know that God commanded me to forget. I'm going to forgive. It seems silly to the rest of the world. What? L live, what? You're going to give 10% of your income to the church? I mean, that's, that's reckless. That's foolish. Why would you ever do that? play that God handed me. You can't understand it through a natural worldly mindset. There's no capacity to even receive, what does he say? To receive the gifts. 
You see, what's at stake is bigger than what you think. What's at stake in this is not just will you be successful at the end of the day. It's not just some kind of simple discipline that will I actually get to the end of this and have lost 20 pounds. That's not what this is all about. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is pointing real hard to something that's outside of all of that. These gifts, this eternal prize, this crown, he actually goes on in his own words to define them in Galatians chapter 5. These gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You know what he says? Of these things, there is no law against. What would your life look like if you had more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? What would your life look like? I'm not talking about losing 20 pounds. I'm talking about something rich happening on the inside of your soul. Choosing the right pain fighting the right fight. What's at stake in this battle is not, it's what Jesus died to give you. He went to the cross, took on your sin so that you could win this war. We win, how do we win? We win by training what we do and what we consume. So what do we do to to train? What do we do? We take captive thoughts Next slide, please. We take captive thoughts and demolish strongholds with the truth of God's word. Then what do we consume? What do we, how do we fill our minds? We fill our minds with the truth of God's word. Number two, how, what do we need to do if we're going to win? We win by refusing to give up. By refuse, I'm not going to give up. It might get hard. It might not be easy. There might be some pain. It might not be the way I thought it was going to go. But I'm not going to give up on it. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Y'all need to know you might get in the dark night of the soul, that season when it's difficult, it's challenging, it's not easy. Don't quit on God. There's a harvest that's coming. Don't get weary in doing good. Why does it say that? Because we can get weary in doing good. Stay devoted to the process. Choose the right kind of pain And then I want you to see this as we wrap up. We win through the victory that Jesus has already won for us. He already won it. He's already won this war. We're we're in the battle, which means we we live from victory, not for victory. It doesn't depend on me. I'm just going to run the play. God's given me the play. I'm going to run it. We live from victory, not for victory. Very important. Next slide, please. It's not always going to be easy. And as a matter of fact, it might even at times be painful. What did Paul say? I beat my body into submission. I beat my body into submission. What's he saying when he said that? I'm going to choose the right kind of pain. I don't want to get disqualified from the price. 
there's something that I want at the end of this race. And it's not always what I want right now. And sometimes I've got to tell myself, I've got to tell my flesh, you've got to say no to that. Sometimes I've got to tell my flesh, no, you need to say yes to that. It's going to be painful. You need to do it anyway. Don't sacrifice what you ultimately want for what you want right now. There's some of us, we want, I want a strong marriage. I want my kids to love Jesus. And every day you're sacrificing that for what you want right now. Oh, I want that attention from that boy. I want to make more money. And what you're, you're sacrificing. That's what you want right now. It's not what you ultimately want. This is why I believe we need to be here next week for Summer Vision Sunday. Because I'm, I'm going to talk to you real honestly about the, the way that we process the summer and give you a simple vision for what the next three or four months of your life could look like. It, I, it's going to be, I believe, life-changing. So let me remind you of this. I said, I mean, you can win this war, but you only win it in Christ. You're not going to win it in your mama, in your life coach, in Oprah. All right? We win in Christ. Choose your pain. Decide in life ahead of time, this is what I want. I'm willing to fight that fight. I will sacrifice for that. I will give up things for that. Choose your, and you want to know what? God led the way in this. Because when sin entered the world, when sin entered the world, we were forfeited from a relationship with God. I was not good enough to stand in his presence. I did not deserve it. And so what did God do? God said, I love them so much. I want a relationship with them. Well, what's it gonna cost? It's gonna cost your son. I've paid high prices for, I've never paid the price of my son. I've watched I've watched my kids cry because of stuff I couldn't control. It just felt my heart break over them because I watched them walk through tough seasons and deal with pain. But God chose the pain of watching his son die for you. Chose it up front so that today you'd have the opportunity to choose him. That's what this moment is all about. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.